0: Amen. Well, our associate pastor is going to preach tonight. I thought I'd be dead tired being on the road all day yesterday, and then uh, uh, preaching or teaching seven or eight hours on our on the couples retreat in Blowing Rock. Was it Blowing Rock, North Carolina? What in the world? Where is that at? But anyway, but uh, well, that's where I was at the end of the weekend, and so I thought we'd have a fresh, young Cofield preach. Amen. So he's going to preach. Amen. Thank you.
1: About fresh or young, but we're here. All right, take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter number one, please. Philippians chapter number one. Philippians chapter one. We'll read the first few verses of this. We're going to be preaching tonight on being a fruit filled Christian. Being a fruit filled Christian. Appreciate you all being here. Crowd's gotten a little better, so I don't feel so bad. Dad might even preach to this size crowd. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Philippians chapter one. Look at verses 9 uh, through 11. We'll, let's, let's go ahead and start in verse number 1. We'll read through the first 11 um, of this, this chapter. Uh, if you'd like to, let's stand for the reading of the word, and then we will let you be seated whenever we pray. Everybody there? Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, are all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to thank this of you all because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of, G- uh, till the day of Christ. Here's our, here's our text. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, and to the glory and praise of God. Alright, with the Lord's help, we're going to preach on that subject of being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Being a fruit-filled Christian. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come to your house again. Lord, we don't take this for granted. Uh, Lord, we know that it could be uh, taken from us, Lord. And we, we, we pray, Lord, that you'd just help us to be able to c- continue to meet like this. God, we need it. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would um, please bless this time of the preaching of your word. Uh, God, it's been read, and that's been a blessing, and Lord, now I pray that you'd help us as we preach it. Uh, God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, this is my desire. My desire is not to be just some normal Christian, but God, I want to be a fruit-bearing Christian, a productive Christian. God, a Christian that does something uh, to bring glory and honor to you with my life. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us with this. Uh, teach us from your Word tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So today we're going to look at this being a fruit-filled Christian. Uh, Paul here, he's speaking to the church of Philippi, and you can go back through some of these verses, and he's talking about them. And and it's sort of like... you, you might know this, but it's sort of like he's talking to his children, I guess you'd say. Somebody he cares about. it. It's like he's talking to... How many of you teach a Sunday school class? It's, it's like he's teaching, talking to his Sunday school class. This is a group of Christians, a church that he had started and planted, and, and he's going back and he's telling them, these are the things that I think of you. And, and notice what he says in verse 3. Paul, first of all, he says that he is thankful for them. He is thankful for them. It's good to let people know that you're thankful for them and, and that you appreciate them. And he's, he's telling them he's thankful for them. He, he tells them, how much their fellowship means to them. Look at verse number 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, you, how many of you know it's good to have people that are on your side that are fellowshipping with you? And the Apostle Paul, he's talking to this church and, and he's telling them how much he's thankful for them, how much he appreciates them, and how much he's th- he, 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 he loves their fellowship. Look at verse number 6. Uh, I, I was thinking about this when I was thinking about our youth. And this, this is the way I feel about our youth. You know, this is the way I think about our youth. Is a, I'm thankful for our youth, and, and I appreciate them being there and the fellowship we have with our youth. And, and so I was thinking about this. And in verse number 6, he says that he is confident that God has great things for him. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is confident that God has got a plan, a, a mission, a, a work, a purpose for this church. And, and that's the way I feel about our youth. And, and I hope you have somebody that you feel that way about. I, I think about Brother Chris in the bus route. He has confidence man that God's got a plan for those kids lives. And, and I think about the Master Club and, and man we, we bring in these kids. We we're confident God's got a plan for them. And, and I, I think about all these Sunday school teachers. God's got a plan for those people's lives. And that's why we do what we do. You know, why do we study why do we get up and preach and prepare why does dad preach and and, and work and and try and pastor the church it's because he knows that God's got a plan and God wants to use you And so Paul says that he is confident uh, that God has got great things for them. In verse number 8, he he tells them, he wants them to know that he loves them. He says, for God is my record how greatly I long after you all uh, in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He says that he has a a, a love, a passion, a, a yearning for them in his heart. And man, I hope that's the way it is with whatever ministry you're involved in. I think we, we, we're a Sunday night crowd. A lot of people here, you're, you're involved in church, you have a ministry. I hope that you love them and have a desire for them in your heart. Uh, you ought to long for them. You ought to love them. And notice this in verse number 4 and in, in verse number 9. But in verse 4 he says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. And then he starts and he shows this prayer in verse number 9. He says, In this I pray. And so we see that not only does he, he, he's thankful for them, not only does he, he he appreciates their fellowship, not only is he confident that God has got great things for them, and he wants them to know that he loves them, but he shows it by praying for them. Uh, John MacArthur, speaking about this subject, this this passage, he said this, he says, Paul's passion for the spiritual development of the believers, Brother Darrell was just talking about this subject, right, about developing and discipling, he said, Paul's passion for the spiritual development of the believers under his care was manifest not only in his preaching and teaching and writing. And that's what we think about a lot of times. You know, my teacher cares for me because he gets up and teaches me. But notice this. He says, not only is it manifest, it's shown in his preaching, teaching, and writing, but also supremely in his prayer life. You know, you, you can tell how much you care about others, about their, their development in the Lord, their spiritual maturity, by if you pray for them. You know, the Apostle Paul is known for praying for others. You see it here in uh, the the church of Philippi. In Ephesians, two or three times, you see that he's praying for the church of Ephesians. You see it in Colossians. He's praying for that church of Colossians. You see it in Thessalonians. He talks about how he's praying for them, that church of Thessalonians. Hey, not only that, but he's praying for individuals. Um, You know, Timothy, it talks about Timothy. Timothy was like his son in the faith, and he's praying for them. He, he, He says he's always praying for Philemon. He's always praying for him. And here's my question for you Are you praying for those that? are under your care? Do you care about them enough uh, to pray? Uh, and, and it's not just a duty that we should do. You know, we, sometimes we go down our missions prayer list or we go down our list in our Sunday school class and we're going to pray for them. We're going we're to list their names. But in verse number eight, he says, I long to do this. He desires to pray for them. Uh, God has really been speaking to me about this subject in, 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 in our youth, man. I, I, I do pray for them, but God has really placed upon my heart that I need to be praying for them more. And I want to pray for them. And that, to me, is the most important thing. He says this. He says in verse number 9, we'll get right into the message. He says, in this I pray. They're saying this is the substance of what I'm praying for you. This is what I'm going to be praying about when I pray for you. Uh, A lot of times we want people to pray for us for our physical needs, right? Uh, For our financial needs or or for this or for that. But that's not what he's praying for. If you look at this prayer, what is he praying for these, these Philippian believers? He's praying for their spiritual maturity. Look at verse number 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. He says, I am praying for you that you'll be productive, that you'll be a fruitful Christian, that that you won't just be an ordinary, but but there'll be something about you that brings forth fruit to the glory of God. Uh, You know, that's what we need to be praying for people. We need to be praying that God would fill them, make them productive Christians. Uh, You know, there's so many people that claim to be Christians. And there is no fruit. They show nothing. Uh, there's no, they're, they're not productive. They're not effective in their Christian life. There's nothing there. But that's what we need to be praying, that we be fruit-filled Christians. If there's anything I want to see of our young people, I'd like to see a, a lot more. I would. I'd like to see the numbers increase. I'd like to see all those things. But, man, I want to see them become productive, mature, fruitful Christians I am tired I am tired of seeing uh, uh, young people come in here stay for a little while and then go out and act like nothing ever cha- ever changed I want to see them stick with it I want to see some that, that get in and get a hold of God and, and have a changed life and become fruitful productive Christians that's my desire you know as I was I, I taught this as a devotion months ago so none of them remember it uh, but, I, <laughs> uh, but I taught it was one of our lessons on Wednesday night. Uh, and, and, I, and I told him this, you know, you don't have to be old to be spiritually mature. That's what he's praying for, right? He's praying for him to be spiritually mature. You don't have to be old. Uh, he, he talks to Timothy and he says, "...no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer." And so you can be spiritually mature as a young person. And I tell them this, you know, some of the most fruitful years of your life can be the young years. It can be those years when you're in high school. It can be those years when you're in college. Don't let these years pass you by and say, when I get older, that's when I'll be a fruitful, productive Christian. No, be a fruitful, productive Christian now. Serve the Lord now. Do something with your life now. In, in high school, as a young person... Serve the Lord. I was so excited to see Peyton up here do it, being an usher. Man, he's so excited about that and I'm proud of him. That's great. Looks good and, and doing a good job with that. Man, don't wait until you're old to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord now. But let me say this. And I've seen a lot of older people that aren't mature, fruitful Christians, you know. Uh, a, lot, a, lot of our, a lot of our... I don't say ours. That's not others. other adults. A lot of older adults that aren't mature and productive. We need to... Hey. Don't don't feel like when you get older that you can just pass it on now. Hey, no longer do I need to be a fruitful, productive Christian. I did my time. I did my time. I was a Sunday school teacher. I did this. I did my time. You know, we need we need some more Titus two Christians. Brother brother uh, Kevin was preaching on this in our. Um, men's breakfast on Tuesday. We need some Titus 2 Christians, don't we? We need some of those aged, It calls it uh, 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 the elderly, but it, it, Paul says it in a nice way, the aged Christians, right? We need some aged men to teach these younger men. We need some aged men to take some young men under their arms and show them how to be a fruitful, productive Christian. We need some aged ladies. That's the only way you can say that and get away with it, right? Some aged ladies. you can't say older. You need some aged ladies that'll come along and take some of these younger ladies in, and teach them how to be a a, a godly mom, how to be a godly uh, a Sunday school teacher, how to be a godly nursery worker. We need, some, we need some older ladies, some aged ladies to come along and teach this younger uh, generation how to be fruitful Christians. So in this prayer, he is praying on being, how to be a fruitful Christian. So being a fruit-filled Christian and how to become that. And so what does he pray for? Let's look at this, and we've we'll, we'll, we got four things that he prays for here, all right? So the first one is this, he prays for your charity. If you're going to be a fruit-filled Christian, you have to have the right charity. Notice what he says. He says, in this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Being a fruitful, being a mature Christian, it's not about duty. It's not about duty, it's about devotion. A lot of times that's what we think though, right? We think if I do this, if I do that, then I'm productive. If I, I'll be a fruitful Christian if I do this. But if you notice in this prayer, he doesn't pray that way. He doesn't pray for, he prays for them to love God. He says, I want want your love love to abound yet more and more, your charity. That's what being a fruitful Christian, that's where it comes from. It comes from that foundation of being a a, a loving uh, person. Uh, You know, it's not about religion. Catch this, it's not about religion, it's about relationship, right? Uh, Religion enslaves us. Religion makes us unhappy and eventually it makes us unproductive. Uh, I was talking to uh, somebody the other day that was going to the Catholic church, and they said they go in there feeling unfulfilled and come out feeling unfulfilled. They they don't get anything from it because that's religion. And religion is not going to make you productive. It's not going to make you fruitful. It's having that right relationship with the Lord. He doesn't pray here for their church attendance. I find myself praying that a lot of times when I pray for our youth or for my Sunday school class. I pray for their church attendance. And I think that's important. Don't get me wrong. He's not praying for their Bible study that they read their Bible. Uh, He's not praying for all of these. uh, He's not praying for their tithing, you know, that they tithe better, uh, that they would give to their missionary the way they should, you know. He's not praying for these things. He's praying for their love, for their love for God. Those things will come, but our love must come first. We're, We're so concerned with the doing that we forget about the being, who we're supposed to be. And he's praying for their love uh, he prays for this, this love because that is the basic tenet of Christianity. Love is the basic tenet of Christianity. Uh, I was talking to somebody, I think it might have been Chris, I don't remember. We we're talking about somebody that was having some problems and some issues and some different things and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and Chris said something to me and it just sort of floored me. He says, well, you know they're not right with the Lord because they're not even doing the basics. And I'm thinking, that's right. They're probably out there drinking. They're probably out there doing something wrong. They're sinning, doing something bad. And, uh, and maybe they're not reading their Bible. I was like, that's probably what he's thinking about. They're not, they're not attending church the way they should. And he said this, and it blew my mind, and, and he was right. And he says, well, they don't love others. That's the basic tenet of Christianity. And let me tell you something. You're not going to be a fruitful Christian if you don't start by loving God and loving others. Two things about this. It it was your charity. It's a growing love. Notice what He says. That your love may abound yet more and more. Hey, it's not just a a stationary thing. It's it's, it's to be growing. It's to be abounding. Uh, Mark chapter 12. You can look over there if you want. But Jesus said it like this. In Mark chapter 12, He said, this is the great commandment. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with... Does anybody know what the next word is? All All thy heart. Uh, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, this is the first and great commandment. Uh, it's not just something that we're to do uh, passively. It's something that we're to do with all that we have. We ought to love God with everything within us. And we ought, and in the, the next verse talks about the same thing. It talks about loving your neighbor. It, it, the, the second commandment is likened to it. And we should love others that way. We should have a passionate, a growing, and ever deepening love. It should be abounding yet more and more. That is the problem with a lot of us as we've grown cold our hearts have hardened and we need to have a growing love that loves others if you're going to be a fruitful christian you must have a love that is growing uh, but not only is it a growing love it should be a knowing love notice the next thing here in verse number uh, uh t- or verse number nine it says in this i pray that your love may abound yet more and more and notice what it says in knowledge and in all judgment So we ought to have a growing love. We ought to have a love that is abounding yet more and more. We ought to do it with all that we have. We ought to be passionate about serving God and and loving serving God. It ought to be an ever-deepening thing, but it ought to be knowing. It says that we ought to do it in knowledge, It's not to be a blind, ignorant, or just an emotional thing. A lot of people get into religion, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a feeling. I, I need to feel better. I need to, I need to have a good feeling inside of me. It needs to be an emotional thing. But that's not what he's talking about. That's not the love the Bible's speaking of here. He says that you ought to uh, uh, grow, your love ought to grow in knowledge. Uh, it, it's, it's based on knowledge. That's a commitment, not just an emotion uh, within us. We ought to have a knowledge of God, and in that knowledge, it ought to Cause us to grow in our love for Him. It ought to grow in knowledge. And our love, uh, uh, our love ought to be growing in knowledge, not just based on emotion. Uh, I'm going to try to not catch this. I'm not going to too sidetracked, but I've been studying a little bit on this. And, and there's, there's people out there, that's what they look for when they look for a church. Uh, they look for a certain type of music. Or a certain type of... Uh, well, music is the main thing, because they, they want that emotion. They want that feeling. And I'm not saying we should have dead, dry music, no doubt about it. Uh, we ought to have music that, that has meaning and purpose and, 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 and draws us to worship God, uh, but, but it shouldn't be just based on emotion. Um, I, I saw recently somebody was, was wanting to find a church that had Hillsong and Bethel music. That was their criteria for looking for a church. Um, let me just tell you this, and we're not going to get off on this long, uh, but Hillsong and Bethel are assemblies of God? They're Pentecostal, they're charismatic. They teach false doctrine. Do you understand that? In their church, they teach false doctrine. Um, they teach a prosperity gospel. They they teach a word faith gospel, uh, which means you can say and name it and claim it. The Bethel they teach some really weird doctrines. All right, they teach some anointing things where you can go to a grave and get an anointing. Uh, from somebody that's passed on, and yet we listen to and support their music and support false churches by listening to and supporting their music, we do, uh, because of an emotion that we want to feel. If there's so much truth in their music, why is there so much untruth in their church? That's a false church. We shouldn't support that. Um, But it's about the emotion. And God doesn't want us to blindly love; He wants us to love with knowledge. We ought to grow, abound more and more in knowledge. The more deeply you know God, the more deeply you should love God. Um, and if we're going to be fruitful Christian, we need this. We need to get a knowledge of God and know God. Uh, I married Rebecca nearly seventeen years ago, right? Okay, yeah. Make sure I should have wrote that down. <laughs> Going on 17. And I thought I loved her then. And I did. I did. Get myself in trouble. I did love her. But I can say this, over 17 years, over 16 years going to 17, I've got to know a lot more about her. And I love her more. That's the way it should be with God. As we get to know him more and more, the more that we should love him, the more we should love him. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Brother Kevin taught out of this passage at our couples retreat. Sometimes we think we should just love blindly, love everything, love everybody. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches us. Look at verse number three, uh, chapter three. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Look at verse two. It says, "Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth." We need to set our affections. Now, notice what it says back in our, our text. It says, In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. We ought to have a discerning love. Uh, we ought to know what to love and what not to love. When you know what to love, you know what not to love. Sometimes you ask a Christian and you, know, and you say, well should you love everybody and love everything? And they'll raise their hand and say yes. Well that's not the teaching of the Bible. Uh, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 verse 15, it says love not. Can you believe that? He's speaking to Christians, he's speaking to believers, and he's giving you a commandment, love not. That's, that's to you. Love not what? Love not the world neither the things that are in the world. When you have a love for God, it gives you a discernment. It gives you a knowledge of the things that you should love and the things that you should not love. In, 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 in Psalm 97.10, it, uh, it, say? it says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. We ought, we ought to love God with all of our heart. and We ought to love the things that God loves, but it ought to cause some judgment, some discernment, in our life so we see your charity he's praying for your charity notice the next thing he prays for here he prays for your choices he prays for your choices notice in verse number 10 that you may approve things that are excellent that you may approve things that are excellent this this discretion and this judgment that he's talking about in verse number nine when we love god and we grow in our knowledge of god and and what god loves and what we should love it's going to cause us to make some choices Knowledge in action is what we're talking about here. Isn't that the definition of biblical wisdom is knowledge in action? That's what wisdom is, right? It's when you you know what God says and you're, you're going to make your choices because of what you know. And so He knows this. He, he's growing in His knowledge and His judgment. A- and because of that, He's going to make some, some proper choices. Uh, these things build on each other. That charity, that love that we had is going to lead us to make some proper choices. Notice what it says. It says that you may approve things that are excellent. That word approve it means to try something. It's like testing metals to check and make sure of their true nature. It, it's like this, if I brought you a block of gold, wouldn't you want it to be real gold instead of false gold, right? You might think you have something but then you go and you got nothing, right? I, I was I was looking up today about this, this this diamond grade thing. They give grades to diamonds and and, and and they look at them and they do it upon their color and their shape and their clarity and this and that and I don't know anything about it but you don't want to buy a a, a bad grade diamond for your, for your sweetheart, right? You want to have something that's real. You don't want to get zirconium or whatever it is. You want something that's the genuine thing. And he's saying here to approve something, we need to test it. And, and, and it needs to be for real. It needs to be something that you can hold on to. Um, you need to make some choices, he's saying that you may approve those things uh, that are excellent. If you're going to be a fruit-filled Christian, you're going to make some choices of what's real, and what is lasting value to you. That's what you got to make some choices about. Hey, if, if you're, going, you're going to have to make some priorities in your life. You're going to have to come down and say, look, this is what is real to me. We make so many of our decisions based on false things, on on, on false dreams, on false promises from the devil that we think this is what we need. And and he he gives you something saying this is what's going to bring uh, uh, fulfillment to you. This is what's going to bring uh, satisfaction to you. This is what's going to make your life productive. But then uh, we get it. It's just like getting false gold. There's nothing there. It's like Solomon. We've been studying Ecclesiastes. It's vanity. We've got to make some choices. We need to base our choices on things that are excellent. Notice what it says. It says we need to approve some things. We need to sit down and try it out and make sure that this is the right choice for us. But it doesn't need to be just if it's good. What does it need to be? We need to approve those things that are what? Excellent. Excellent. It's not between just good and bad. That's the way we make a lot of our decisions, isn't it? Well, it's not that bad. Any of you ever, that's the reason you choose to do something? It's not that bad. We're not doing what they're doing. Well, that's not what it's talking about here. It says that you may approve the not that bad versus the good. No, that you may approve those things that are excellent. Do you realize this? God wants wants you to be a fruit field. He wants you to be a productive Christian more than you want to be it. He's got an excellent plan for your life. In Philippians 1.6, he says that he's going to complete that plan he has for you, being confident in this very thing, that he's going to accomplish your purpose for your life. He's got something excellent for you, and yet we're choosing less than God's best for our life by the choices we make. He says that you ought to approve those things that are excellent. It's going to come down to what's more important to you. Is it fame and popularity? Is that what it is, young people at school? Do you want to be popular and, and have that fame? Or do you want to be known for following God? Approve those things that are excellent. What are you going to improve? Hey, are you, are you wanting to serve God and sacrifice of your time? That you're going to make that choice? Are you going to serve yourself and be selfish with your time? There's a choice there. And when we love God, we know how to make that choice, don't we? Hey, when we love God, that, that, that choice becomes simple, doesn't it? That choice becomes, I love Him. I love Him with all of my heart, and, and I want to love others. And because of that, I'm going to choose to serve God with those things that are excellent, the, the excellent choices He wants me to make. Look at, at Romans chapter 12. That, that choice is, is pretty plain. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because God loves us and we ought to love Him, that ye present your body... A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Hey, it's only reasonable to love God uh, and to serve Him, to make the choice of those excellent things. Look at Colossians chapter 3 again. We just read verses 1 and 2. It talks about setting your affections on things above. But notice what it says in verse 3. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God, hey, it's no longer all those, it's not a hard choice anymore because you're dead to that old life. You're dead to that old man. You love God and you want to serve Him. I want to be a fruitful Christian. Therefore, I decide, I choose the excellent things, those things that God wants for my life. Um, Susanna Wesley. She sent her son John Wesley, John Wesley, great Christian, fruitful Christian, productive Christian, what we're talking about here. Sent him off to college. And this is what she wrote to him in one of his letters. She said, whatever weakens your reason, or whatever re- weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off the delight for spiritual things. One more time. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs your tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off the delight for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of your body. over over your mind, that thing is sin. Hey, whatever is taking you away from choosing those excellent things in your life, it is sin. To him that knoweth do right, doeth it not. To him it is sin. Listen, there are some good things whenever whenever you love God, whenever you choose, approve those excellent things, there are some good things that just won't make the cut. There are some good things that just won't make the cut. Hey, maybe it's not that bad, but it's not going to make the cut. We need to make the right choices. (laughs) You know that Susanna Wesley quote? I wonder how many parents are telling their young people that today. Hey, they're sending them off to the ball field on Sunday. It's awful quiet in here. (laughs) Hey, they're they're encouraging them in the things of the world and and to make sure they're promoted in those things. Do we want the excellent things for our children? Do we want the excellent path for our children? Let me tell you something. When we want that, we're going to make some choices. It's not going to be the races. It's not going to be the ball fields. It's not going to be those things. It's going to be the excellent things. Hey, maybe ball. There's nothing wrong with ball. I like ball. I played ball. But ball on Sunday, that's not excellent. We ought to choose the excellent things. So our choices, your, 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 your charity will lead to your choices, that you may approve those things um, that are excellent. Look back at, at our text with me, Philippians chapter 1. So we talked about your character, your choices, now, or your, your, your charity, your choices, but now look at your character, your character. That you may approve those things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Right? Charity leads to the right choices, and the right choices will lead to the right Christian character. He says that we ought to be sincere and without offense. That means that we ought to be pure and we ought to be blameless. We ought to have uh, be genuine, unambiguous, certain Christians. And if you're going to be a real uh, a fruit-bearing, a fruit-filled Christian, it requires that you are a real Christian, that you have a real relationship with God, that you're genuine. Uh, it's not just something you play a church game that you play, it's something you live at the house too. We ought to be genuine in our sincere in our Christianity, in our in our love for God, in our, our genuine in our character, our Christian character. This word sincere. It's where we uh, they they in, in Roman culture they used to have this um this this practice and they would they would stamp on pottery sincera. It's two words, sincera. And it means without wax. It means without wax. They would take these pots, and sometimes these pots would come out of the kiln. I guess it's the kiln. they come out of there, and they would have some cracks on them. And instead of, instead of just throwing that one away, they would try and hide it. They would put some wax or something on there, and they would, they would cover it. And then when they painted it, you couldn't tell that it wasn't complete. It wasn't sincere. It had that mark on it. But the one way you could tell it, you know, the one way that you could tell even when it was painted is if you would hold it up to the light. You'd hold it up to the sunlight and you could see that there was something, there was a flaw, there was something wrong with that pot. It wasn't sincere. It wasn't genuine. Sort of like, have you ever ever given somebody a $100 bill and they hold it up to see if it's real? None of y'all done that, me either. I don't have $100 bills. (laughs) But anyway... Uh, side note here side story one time we got a fault we got a, we got a, we got a counterfeit $100 bill in the offering here um, and they called me from the bank and they told me the um, that we got a $100 you know fake one and I was saying I don't think anybody's trying to do that through the church you know what I'm saying I don't think that's what's going on um, surely not uh, somebody just happened to you know but anyway, it's counterfeit they asked me to come up there and they were going to show me how I could know so I did. I didn't know what it was going to help me because it's not like I get a lot of $100 bills. Uh, but they showed me some ways that you can tell that it's, it's for real, you know, it's, it's the real thing. But you, that you could hold it up to the light and you could see it. If your life were taken and a spotlight was put on it, a light was put on it, are you real? Are you genuine? Do you really have true Tris, uh, Christian character? You know, a lot of us are like that that potter that tried to cover it up, right? We try and put the wax on it, we try and we don't want to deal with the situation. We don't want to, you know, and 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 fix it. We just want to cover it up. We might paint it, might look good. You come, you got your suit on, you look sharp, you know, you look all the part, but you're not living a real, genuine Christian life. Let me tell you, you're not gonna have a fruit-filled life. You're not gonna have a productive Christian life living like that. We need to be sincere. We need to be genuine. Is there enough evidence? If I were to look at your life, I take that spotlight and I look at your life. Is there enough evidence to prove that you are a Christian? There should be. Are you living a fruit-filled life? Now, two thoughts on this choices and character. Two thoughts on this choices and character. Notice what it says. It says that you may be sincere. Notice this. It says, and without offense till the day of Christ. So the first thing is, will it make others stumble? When I'm making my choices in, in my character, will I make others stumble? Uh, the choices I make, are they going to make others fall away from the Lord, or are they going to bring others closer to the Lord? That ought to be part of the, the, the reasoning, part of the, the, the choices. How am I going to choose those excellent things? Will I, can I do this without offense? Um, 1 Corinthians 10.23, you can write that out and look at it later. But Paul said this, he said, Paul said, all things are expedient for me. He's within not sinful things, but he's talking about his Christian liberty. But he says, you know what's going to limit my Christian liberty? Is does it edify? Does it help others? Does it build others? So he says, will it make others stumble? Uh, Second thing, will I be ashamed if Jesus should return? Look at what he says. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. One day, we're going to stand before the Lord. First John chapter two verse twenty-eight says, "We're going to stand before Him ashamed or confident. Which way are you going to stand before the Lord? Will you be ashamed, or will you be confident?" You know, we have enough. Listen to me. We have enough excuses and hypocrites out there. Seems like every time I go and I invite somebody to church, well, I would, but and they go and tell me some story about some church and some person and something that happened. You know, we have a ton of that. They're everywhere. You know what we need? We need some more Christians that choose excellent things. We need some more Christians that live a sincere, real life. We need some more Christians that live without offense, that are blameless. We need some more Christians that are looking for the day of Jesus, that are fruit-filled Christians, like we're going to talk about here in a second, that people can point to and say, hey, that's the reason I want to go to church. That's the reason I want to be a Christian. That's the reason I want to serve the Lord, because I've got somebody that I can look at. They're real. They're sincere. We don't need to be a hypocrite. We don't need to be an excuse. We need to be a reason." for somebody to go. So we see here these three things. This is what he's praying for. He's praying for your charity. He wants you to love God and to love others. He's praying for your choices, that you'll have the right kind of things, that you'll approve those things that are excellent. He is praying for your character, that you'll be sincere, that you'll live a Christian life that is real. And then, well, here's the outcome. Here's the consequence of all those things. The consequence of this prayer. The consequence of, 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 of living that kind of life that we've been talking about. The consequence of it. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Notice what happens when you love Notice what happens when you make the right choices. Notice what happens when you live with the right Christian character. You're filled with the fruit of righteousness. You're filled um, uh, uh, being a fruitful Christian. You you live a life uh, as a mature Christian that is productive and effective and has meaning and purpose because you are filled with the fruit of righteousness. Of righteousness. That word filled. It, it, we shouldn't be satisfied with just a little bit of Christianity. I think that's the way we are. I come on Sundays and I'm okay, but hey, that's not what Paul is praying for his, his 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 believers here at Philippi. That's not what I pray for our youth, is that they'll just come on, on, on Sunday morning and get a little bit of this, man. I want them to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, man. That's the kind of life that we ought to desire, is a life that is overflowing for God, that is productive, that has purpose and meaning in it. You're tired of living an empty life? You're tired of living a life that has no purpose and meaning? Well, then get, get in this plan that God has for you. And God says that He can fill you with fruit. He can fill you with purpose. He can fill you with meaning. Not just a little Christianity. I think that's what we want. We want, we want something to make us not feel guilty. Enough to make us feel like we did our part. Or, or, you know, I'm going to make sure and do this and that. And I'm going to check this box off and I'll be alright. No, we ought to want to be filled with Christianity. We ought to be one filled with the fruit of righteousness. Notice what it says, we're filled with the fruit of righteousness. Uh, That's the outgrowth of that righteousness that's in our heart already. Let me tell you, listen, if, if this is what you want and you're not saved, you've never been born again, you don't have the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your heart, you can never live a fruitful, productive life because that's only through the fruit of righteousness it has the sense this feeling filled with the fruit of righteousness it has the sense of an action that takes place in your life that has meaning uh, lasting meaning that, that, that continues to work and if you when you get saved god plants that righteousness in your life but it ought to be something that continues to grow it ought to be an outgrowth something that continue produces fruit uh, in your life and it ought to be righteousness holiness that is what ought to be being produced uh, in your life and notice you can't do it just by uh, on your own notice what it says being filled with the fruit of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ that's the reason that religion is not going to do it for you listen religion is not going to do it for you just coming to church to check it off on your box and make you feel better feel like you're reformed that ain't going to do it for you uh, I was talking to brother Larry earlier and 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 we had some people that come from the jails, and man, praise the Lord for them. Man, I want them to be here. But sometimes I think they're doing it just because they think if they come to church, that's going to make them that's going to make them good. That's going to make them right, and everything's going to be good. But let me tell you, until they get a hold of Jesus, that's what they need. That's what's going to change their life. It's not religion. It's not Sunday school. I want them in my Sunday school class. It's not coming at 11 o'clock. It's getting a hold of the fact that we need Jesus. We need His righteousness. The only way that you'll ever have fruit is to have Jesus. And they're all by Jesus. Jesus. We've been studying Galatians chapter 5. We've been studying the fruit of the Spirit. You know what every time we say? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not you trying. It's the fruit. It's the outgrowth of allowing the Holy Spirit, yielding your life to Him. The only way you'll ever be a fruitful, productive Christian is to yield to the Holy Ghost of God inside of you. Now notice the outcome of all of this. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of fruit in your life? Unto the glory and praise of God. Man, I want my life to bring glory to God, don't you? You do it by being a fruitful Christian. Hey, you're not going to do it by just being a nominal Christian. That doesn't bring glory to God. You're not going to do it by being a hypocrite. That doesn't bring glory to God at all. You're not going to do it by being a fool. You know, I, I like that at the passage we're reading this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 where it says God takes no pleasure in a fool. So don't be a fool. God doesn't get any glory from that. What does God get glory from? God gets glory from a fruit-filled Amen. Christian. That's what He gets glory from. That's the point of our life is to bring glory to God. I'll give you a quick illustration as we're ending here. Have you ever been over to the... Um, look at the apple trees in, in Elegy? Man, whenever it's apple season, what, what, what happens in LJ? What happens when it's not apple season? You ask somebody that's from LAJ, what, Who Who's in LJ when there's not apple season? Nobody, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, they have all these places, these orchards and stuff, and they have a bunch of... They're not even open. They, they, they shutter the doors. But whenever, whenever apple season is, what happens in LJ? People come from all over the place like they've never seen an apple before, you know? It's it's amazing. Traffic on the the streets of L.A.J. Why? We're going to this apple place. They've got apples. But what causes people to come? It's not a bare tree. It's not a tree with no leaves and no fruit. It's when the apple tree has apples on it. What brings glory to God? It's when your life has apples on it. Hey, what, what, what brings people to Jesus? It's when you have fruit in your life. When your tree has apples on it. If we want to bring glory to God, let's be fruit-filled Christians. Hey, let's have this, this charity that the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's praying for. Hey, listen, if you're having a problem loving people, get in on this. That's the basic of Christianity is that we need to love people. If you want to be a fruitful Christian, but you don't want to love people, and you don't want to love God the way that you should, you're not going to be a fruitful Christian. You're not going to be a productive Christian. Learn to love God and love people. Your choices. Are you making the right choices? Hey, are you not, I'm not talking about just between good and bad. I'm talking about excellent things. Are you choosing the excellent things? Are you making those right choices? You want to be a fruitful Christian? Are you making the right choices? And what about your character? Are you the Christian that you say you are? Are you producing that kind of life that, that that doesn't give that is sincere and without offense? And if you are, you'll be a fruit-filled Christian. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Dad's coming to conduct the invitation. Let's pray. Let's all stand, dear God. We pray that you please be with this message, God. I know it spoke to me, God. I don't want to be an unproductive, ineffective. Uh, nominal Christian. God, I want my life to count for you. Lord, my, my goal in my life is, is to have meaning and purpose and, and, Lord, to bring glory to you. I pray that you'd help us with this. Lord, I pray that you spoke to our hearts and may we be these fruit filled Christians that you want us to be. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.
0: With every head bowed, I close just a moment of invitation. How many would say, I know that without a doubt, if I died today, I'd go to heaven. And you know, there's a lot of death talking today. A lot of people dying. A lot of people, their deaths on their heart. A lot of people having symptoms and think they're coming down with something that's gonna kill them. But I wanna tell you something, friend. We need to realize we're not gonna always be here. And we need to realize that there's no fruit without roots. There's no fruit without roots. You must be born again. You must be connected to the vine to produce fruit. And the fruit is so pleasant. To others and to God's glory but you'd say preacher I know without a doubt that I'm saved and I do want to be a fruit-filled Christian would you raise your hand as a happy testimony you've been saved. there's been a time in your life where you've trusted the Lord your Savior how many glad you say say amen several could not raise your hand and you'd say preacher I'm not sure I'm saved and I don't have the capacity to have this fruit and this character Christian character and and make the right choices I want to be saved and I want you to pray for me that I wouldn't waste my life with no love and no choices that would glorify God and no Christian character. And I want you to pray for me because I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want to live a life that's wasted before I get there and I need to be saved. And you'd ask for prayer you'd say, Preacher, I'm not saved, but I'd like to be. Would you slip your hand up real high for prayer and then back down? Anyone? Just slip it up back down. We give an invitation almost every service because you never know. Anyone? Have me say, Preacher, I'm a Christian. The message is spoken in my heart and I really do want to be one that brings glory to God through a yielded life of fruitfulness. And that's your prayer tonight because somebody, you're the best Christian they know. Would you slip your hand up for prayer tonight? God bless you. That's wonderful all over this place. I believe God spoke to all our hearts and thank God for it. Father, use this message, bless this time of invitation that we'd respond humbly uh, to the conviction of the Holy Ghost in our hearts. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name, amen.